Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio on the day after what I'm going to declare was Parliament's version of I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Yesterday's business in the House of Commons was one of the most bizarre sights in the entire history of our democracy. It came complete with Boris Johnson's allegations of drug taking by the Labour frontbench. I've got no idea who he meant. Uh, it calls for the ejection and suspension of the SNP leader Ian Blackford for calling the Prime Minister a liar. And of course, myriad calls for the resignation of the man charged with leading the nation. Meanwhile, the Prime, Minister's off to U- the Prime Minister is off to Ukraine today amid accusations of running number 10 like a medieval court and kowtowing to the real power behind the throne, his own wife, Carrie. And the police investigation, of course, goes on. Yesterday's Sue Gray report was more of an update than an actual report of an investigation. Out of the 12 pages that were printed, uh, three of them were part of a a, a sort of index of some kind. A couple of pages were blank. In the end, there was only actually six pages uh, that were readable and were part of what supposedly had information for us to get. We still haven't seen the actual report and it looks like Scotland Yard is now examining 12 events complete with 300 pictures, at least four of which uh, were attended by Boris and possibly his wife, right? This is a story that has now paralysed the business of government and the sooner it is dealt with, the better. But it could be a year before we actually find out what the police know. And that simply can't be right, can it? Up first today, we're talking to Tory MP Sir Bill Wiggins, who asked just how much longer this farce can go on for and whether this entire standoff could ruin their election chances. I'm not just talking about the elections in the local elections in May. I'm talking about in two years' time in a general election. 0344 499 1000. People say, stop bashing Boris, you'll end up with Keir Starmer. I don't think Sir Keir Starmer is electable. I think he's very dull. I think his policies don't stand up to scrutiny. I think some of his actions uh, in the past have uh, meant that he is not fit to be our Prime Minister. So I'm not, make any mistake about this, I am not batting for Sir Keir Starmer in any way, shape or form. But what I am going to say to you is this. The longer that Boris Johnson stays in number 10, the more the chances are that people will actually vote for Sir Keir Starmer because he looks like Mr Clean compared to Mr Glum. Does he not? We'll be celebrating the government's new turn on mandatory vaccinations for NHS workers as well. And we'll be talking to Laura Dodsworth on the grossly unethical nudge tactics used by the medics during the pandemic with scary adverts and frightening warnings about impending doom and 
death and all sorts of other things. Lisa Francesca Nand is here as well with a look at the travel business because we're getting ever closer to half term. What's likely to change in the next couple of weeks? Where will we be able to go? And can it really be true that masks are going to be used on planes for the next six years? 0344 499 1000. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. I want to know what you made of it all yesterday because it was quite a spectacle. It was quite an extraordinary day in the House of Commons. I think one of the more bizarre days, as I said, in its entire history. So, are you back at work finally? The streets seem busier today. The trains are busier. People are now getting more back to normal than ever. There's fewer masks being worn. It's all good. I just wish we had somebody running the country. 0344 499 1000. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it's time to say a very good morning to Sir Bill Wigan, Conservative MP for North Herefordshire, who's been kind enough to come and speak to us about the events of yesterday and much else besides. Sir Bill, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How lovely to be on your show. Always, you're, you're always welcome. Sorry, go on. I just I was just agreeing with a lot of what you said uh, in your introduction. Yes. Tremendous. Well, this is the thing. I mean, we've been taking a bit of flack here at Talk Radio for attacking Boris Johnson and for saying that our party gate is not so much important because of the cake and because of the cheese and the wine, but because of the message that it sent out. And I mean, I have to say, yesterday's events in Parliament were pretty bizarre. I mean, what did you make of it? Yes, I thought the SNP missed a huge opportunity. Um, they didn't even unite behind their leader when he walked out, mm. and he clearly had staged that. Uh, and I thought that was silly. But I think that well, the, I think some of us are rather hoping he doesn't come back. He just keep going. <laughs> yes, well, uh, basing your entire party politics on disliking your next door neighbour is very poor. Yes. So um, this report that's come out, the Sue Gray report. I read it very carefully because given all the coverage we've seen, I was expecting some sort of smoking gun and there definitely wasn't one. There was a, a good conclusion at the end that said these uh, gatherings should not have taken place and that uh, there's significant lessons to be drawn. And I, I completely agree with that. But I don't think that having the police involved and all the people who screamed that there were crimes being committed and the police should become uh, part of this inquiry and they, they attacked the Met for not wanting to take part, have in fact, if, in my opinion, shot their own fox because now we don't really know if the law was broken. We think we do. We get told that it was, but the police are investigating until we find out what actually happened, you know, we're still to a greater extent in the dark. Well, I'm a bit like you on this. I'm not even sure why the police were called in because the police initially said that they weren't interested in investigating. We're told by QCs and lawyers, we had Chris Daw QC on yesterday, who said basically this is not a criminal matter. Uh, it is a breach of COVID regulations. However, um, no nonetheless, I think the less we concentrate on the facts of the case and the more we concentrate on um, the kind of appearance, if you like, of what was going on, I think the better it's going to be for Boris Johnson to move on. Because the only problem we've got here is that our government appears to be paralysed. You know, he's off to Ukraine today. But, I mean, I don't imagine anything's going to change in what happens in Ukraine. He's kind of um, lost his credibility, it seems to me, in so many different areas. And don't well, forget, well, hang I'm, on, hang, I'm a... Hang, hang on, on. Well, no, let me finish. I'm a Boris Johnson yes, supporter, uh, Bill, and I'm going to obviously listen to your response to all of this. But I'm just t trying to tell you what a lot of people think. And inside of Downing Street, there was an awful lot going on that wasn't allowed to go on outside. And I don't really care how many parties he was at or how many, you know, glasses of wine were thrown around or how many, you know, swings got broken. It's the fact that, you know, 
there's an awful lot of people who suffered an awful lot. And I know that some of the uh, political statements made yesterday were deliberately made to tug at the heartstrings. But but people are genuinely annoyed and people genuinely did follow the rules and they don't accept that, that Boris Johnson should just get away with it, which is what he looks like he's trying to do. Well, the first thing is that we need to establish whether it was actually Boris Johnson. Now, he's gone out and apologised because the buck stopped with him and he's taken that responsibility and he's apologised several times. The people who um, suffered... I think it's really important that we we don't talk that down or, or, or knock it in any way because the suffering that people went through, the sacrifices they made are hugely important. But equally, the parties or whatever happened didn't cause that suffering. They just broke that golden rule of politics that if you are the rule maker, you cannot be a rule breaker. And, and I, I, I think that that is quite clear from Sue Gray's report that that cannot go on. It cannot happen again and lessons need to be learned. And in fairness, the prime minister has said he is going to change that. Um, obviously, if he's in the Ukraine today, we're not going to see that change immediately. But I have heard that um, I heard him speak yesterday and, and he was very clear that that yes, needed to change. But he, already, so, but he already yesterday had to cancel a telephone conversation he was going to have with Vladimir Putin as a result of all of this, which tells yeah. me that it's interfering with the day-to-day running of government. Well, I think a police inquiry into your office should interfere with the day-to-day running of parliament. I mean, this, this is, as you pointed out earlier, the, the suffering of people is means that it needs to be taken seriously. But what we can't conclude without evidence, and what we shouldn't do is react to what our gut feeling is without the proof. Because the, there are three things the Prime Minister's done. He's ordered this report. He couldn't use his permanent secretary. And I think in item two of the report, it says that is because the permanent secretary had a quiz in his office. So this is not something that was unique to Downing Street. And I think that... Um, He's, he's put in the terms of reference that if there was criminal activity, the police should be called. I think people watching or listening to this might just bear in mind that no matter how they feel about the Prime Minister, the fines, if the rules were broken, are not going to reflect the anger felt. I mean, you'll be aware, Mike, as to how much people got fined if they broke the rules. Well, some people got fined £10,000, by the way. I think that was Piers Corbyn, wasn't it, for organising a demonstration? No, there were people, there was a woman in Hackney who was fined £10,000 for having a party, which didn't sound like much more of a party than the one that, that Boris Johnson had. But as I said... Unless they I, were I all think, her workmates, no, then, but the, no, then but, that's yeah, different. But, yeah. but the point is, Bill, you're focusing on the wrong thing because it's not about the individual events, it's about the overall impression. And that is what politics is all about. And you know that as well as I do. You know, the facts, in a way, don't matter. And also, you can't keep saying wait for the evidence when you keep pushing the evidence further away. You know, he told us to wait for the Sue Gray report, which was supposed to be imminent, nearly two weeks ago. And then the Sue Gray report uh, was superseded by the police investigation, which a lot of people think was a tactic that was made politically by Christopher Dick to push the evidence further away. What we can say is that Scotland Yard is apparently examining eight dates on which 12 events are said to have taken place, with detectives gathering 500 pages of information with the belief that at least four of those events were attended by Boris Johnson. That doesn't matter. You know, he needs to get it out of the way. He doesn't. And what we don't want is for this to go for a year which is what some people are suggesting. That would be... Well, he did say that awful. himself. 
He said that yesterday in the, in the 1922 committee. He wished that all the evidence was out there so people can see for themselves, make their own decisions with the facts rather than with the uh, Well, why doesn't he just tell us what the facts are then? Why does he because just I don't say, think you can do that. Of course you can. He can no, no rubbish. No. He can go out and make a statement right now, today, on the steps of Downing Street and say, look, these are the events I was at. These are the people who were at them. This is why we did it. I realise now it was wrong. I'm going to find myself £500 and let's call a, a halt to it all. And that's the end, isn't it? That would, that would be lovely, but I don't think he's able to do that, personally, Mike. Why not? I, mean, I very rarely disagree with you, but I, I really don't well, think why can't that, that he, is an option. Well, I think he can. Why can't he do it? What stops him? As you say, it's not a criminal matter. He's not, he's not going to prejudice a jury. There's never going to be a trial. Well, um, my, my impression was that he couldn't because it would prejudice the police inquiry. And, and when I met him some time ago, uh, I asked him these sort of questions and he said, I will not tell you because I will not prejudice the Sue Gray inquiry. So for a man who's supposed to have broken the rules, he's playing by the rules. Yeah, but uh, come on, this, Bill. You know, I mean, I, I, admire, I admire your loyalty and I think you're a fine man and a very good MP. However, however, um, this is the same guy who couldn't tell that he'd been to any parties. He wasn't sure. He didn't know if he was even at the parties until it was, he was, it was pointed out to him that he actually was. And then he remembered that it was not a party. It was a work event. He was also the, guy, the same guy that said that he was shocked and horrified to discover that there were any parties going on until it was pointed out to him that he was at some of them. You know, so his record on this is not exactly crystal clear or uh, white, is it? No, and therefore your option to go onto the steps of Downing Street and tell us exactly what happened would be, it would be wonderful. I don't think we can honestly expect that to happen. And I think what we have to do is is follow the process. And the trouble is, the minute he tried to break the process, we'd be back here chatting about why prime ministers shouldn't change the rules when it suits them. I don't think we would, actually, because I think everyone's sick to death of it. I mean, if you talk to most I agree people, with that. many people are fed up with Boris Johnson because of it. Many people think that we should move on and we should forget about it altogether. It's not important. We've got more important things to do. I mean, I agree I, with that too. I, and I agree with all of that. However, most people, regardless of whether they want Boris out or not, would like to see the end of it because it's paralysing the government and we can't move on and we can't do anything and everything is tainted by it. Well, I think the most important thing is the 100,000 troops on the border of uh, Ukraine and the Prime Minister's gone there today. So I'm not sure it's why? entirely exactly. fair to say it's paralysing. But why has he gone there today? What's to he try and do? stop a, a war. Well, how is Boris Johnson going to stop a war? I think the... I mean, he can't even stop parties going on in his back garden, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great response, Mike. I love that one. But uh, the reality is that if he doesn't try and anything happens, we would be uh, much worse off for it. Well, I don't think anyone's going to blame Britain for a war that breaks out on the border of Ukraine and Russia. Plus, I don't think most sensible... They're not going to blame us, but if we could stop it, then we should. Yeah, but we can't. And what's, what, I mean, isn't that what NATO's well, we for? Help. Isn't that what NATO's for? It's, it looks like a bit of a grandstanding... Ukraine isn't a member of NATO. No, I know Ukraine isn't. But the point is, is that NATO and the United Nations are the people that stop wars from happening. I know they're not particularly good at it, at the UN in particular. However, that's their job. It's not Britain's job to do that. And I don't think anybody who is a Conservative voter thinks we should be doing it. We've got more well, important things to we do. We haven't forgotten the Novichok attack in Salisbury. And we know what the Russians are, are up to, and we have um, a moral duty, if no other, to try and prevent it. And I feel very strongly about this because they are the greatest threat 
to our peace and safety and democracy. Well, don't we have a moral authority then to go back into Afghanistan and save all the people there because they're getting horribly badly treated, but we abandoned them. So, no, we, no, no. so we don't have a moral authority in Afghanistan, but we do in Ukraine. How does that work? We have, um, we have a moral authority to our own people to try and prevent the greatest threat to their lives from, from taking place. That's what I said. Which threat we'd is love that? to have done more for Afghanistan. But when the Americans withdrew, that was 60% of all the armed forces there. There was no choice. Yes, I know. But what I'm saying is you can't make moral arguments for one thing and then not for another. Because Oh, you... I think you can. For, for this, you know, the, the Ukraine is, is um, very nearby. They are being threatened by our greatest enemy. And the sanctions that we're talking about now have but to Russia be taken have been, Russia have been in Crimea for years. Yep. What what were we doing about that? And I visited Georgia and I saw South Ossetia where they've invaded as well. Yeah. And I think we should be under, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be blindsided by this. If the prime minister goes out there to try and help, I'm with him all the way. This is the right thing to do, and we shouldn't we should never underestimate the, how sinister this is. Well, it you, is really worrying. Well, um, you may think that. I, I don't go along with it. And I've spoken to many experts in Ukraine politics who don't share the view that it's going to become a war of, at all because Putin doesn't want a war. Right. It's not It's not in his interest to have a war. It is in his interest to, to rattle the odd sabre uh, to make it look as if he's more important than he actually is. And, I mean, it, it makes and it's, it's no secret that the people of Crimea would like to be part of Russia again. The problem with Ukraine is it's a split country and the people on the west side of it would quite like to be European. But that doesn't mean we can do anything about that. Well, there are there are greater challenges as well. What if they apply to be part of NATO? Would you accept that? It's not for me to say. If they want to be part of NATO, that's a decision for NATO and its members, isn't it? Yes, but I think that is the underlying fear that the Russians say they have. And therefore, you know, whether we ignore them or whether we take it seriously is something that we can do and that we should. Yeah, but I mean, I have some sympathy with, with the Russian view on that, not because of the, the way that they operate, but because they granted uh, independence to an awful lot of their satellite states, right? But what they didn't suggest was that they should all go around joining the European Union. And this has all been kicked off by, uh, unfortunately, by Angela Merkel, who offered them membership of the EU. And at that point, Putin went, hang on a minute, that's not what we agreed. And so, you know, it's been going bad ever since then, really. And it has been largely funded by the Germans' energy demands as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. they play a much greater role in this. Yes. But at the same time, we shouldn't be turning a blind eye to it. No, I, I get that. I, I get that. But I, but I just feel that in the midst of so many crises in our own country, for example, you know, the, the illegal migrants still landing on the beaches, even as we speak, there'll be several hundred people getting off a dinghy and, and walking up into, uh, into the south coast of this country. Nothing's been done about that. That is a crisis, as far as I'm concerned, and most people in this country believe that something should be done. So I'd rather see Boris Johnson down at the docks in Dover telling us how he's going to make it stop. Yep. No, well, the, the legislation is on its way. But, and I also um, I agree like, with you. And there's also there's a cash crisis coming because even I've started to notice things getting more expensive, you know, and uh, people can't afford to heat their homes. People are being forced into a higher tax bracket very soon. And they're also going to be paying more national insurance. You know, this is not a conservative government that anybody recognises. And and I mean, you know, you, you went very neatly onto the energy crisis. And, and that is, to some extent, part of the problem with Russia. Um, you know, as energy goes up in value, they get richer. And as a result, they get braver. So they're all interconnected. Yeah. And yeah. Um, when you look at them, 
migrants coming into this country and you compare that with the Ukrainians who are preparing to fight, you know, I think I think we owe it to them to to encourage them to stay in their own countries and, and fight for the things that we believe in. Yeah, well, I don't think so, there's too uh, many Ukrainians uh, washing up on the shores. No, of, none at all. Of folks, no, there, to be honest. No, I quite agree, and and we don't want that either. And I agree with you that it is the most pressing issue, and that we need to address it because that's something we promised to do when we said we'd take back control exactly of our right. borders. And yeah. you know, putting up taxes and being the highest taxed country uh, since the war, since the Second World War. Um, I don't recognise that to be Tory policy, but it seems to have become Tory policy. Um, Just for the moment, I think the Chancellor is minded to to change that in due course. But um, Yeah, but corporation tax is going up next year we, to 25% from 19%. Globally, yes, that's right. You know, And, and, and we've got to do something about it because that's what we believe in. So I did speak to him about it yesterday, and he's very aware of our desire to cut taxes. But that's that's fine for me. But for the people, we need to actually deliver that. Well, that's right. And the point is, is that, you know, there's a lot of talk of, you know, keep Boris where he is, because in the end, basically, he will be the man that rescues us and gets us through the next election. But I think there is also an argument to be made that as he loses more credibility by the day, and I don't think you can say that he's better off today than he was yesterday, um, he may become a liability. At what point does the Tory party say that he's a liability because he won't help them win the next general election? Um, I... I, I... I've been asked that so many times in my career, you know, whether it was David Cameron or Theresa May, there's always a moment where people say, what are you going to do about your leader? But uh, my, my view is that we haven't reached that point. My view is that um, Boris is, is doing what he was supposed to do. He's, he's setting out the, well, he's got to do these things and um, he said he's going to, so we'll see. Yeah, but he can't keep saying he's going to. I mean, even you must have been aghast, Bill, when he came out a couple of weeks ago and suddenly remembered that we have to do something about the migrant crisis and he remembered that maybe we should take 5p off energy bills and maybe we should even look at taking 20% off with the green subsidy and maybe we should stop talking about COP26 because only his wife is the, is the one person in this country driving this mad green agenda. He suddenly rediscovered all of that. Why? Because he was in the doo-doo. Yes. So maybe keeping him in the doo-doo isn't such a bad position for us concerned. It's an interesting way to run a country. Isn't it? It's uh, it's it's a very interesting time, and it's very important that we um, do establish facts, because at the end of the day, this is a man who won an eighty-seat majority at a general election, and turning over the ways in which people voted is something we should tread very carefully. No, I get at. I get that, and, but and, that's and a very but that's at also the end of the a... day, you know, that this 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 party gate is you know, in the big scheme of things. 10 years from now, we'll look back on this and wonder what the fuss was about. Or, or because, you know, it's not clear yet, it will be quite clear that, that the rules were broken and as a result, things had to change. Yeah, but in no other world and in no other business, Bill, and you've been in business, would this be taking so bleeding long? You know, if there was an inquiry in this building that I live in here and I work in about something that happened, you know, two years ago, it wouldn't take another year to work out what had happened. It would take about a day. Well, one would hope so, but but then one probably wouldn't have called the police. Well, well, they might have done. But the point is, it you know, well, they would no, have been off down well, Paddington but, Nick, wouldn't you? Well, people people say that government ministers now are incapable of answering a straight question. Dominic Raab was doing the rounds this morning. You couldn't answer a straight question. They're all tiptoeing around. Let's wait for the inquiry. 
We were well, told that. The, yeah, but we got told that last week. Let's wait for the inquiry. Now that we've seen a bit of the inquiry, and it suggests that there was quite a lot of parties going on, there's plenty to go on. But why can't we just get all of it? You don't need. Okay, to... so so we just just go with the rumor then. Well, I don't think okay. it's a rumor that there were 300 photographs which have been obtained by the police. That's not a rumor. It's not a yes, rumor. But, but that... in order for for this to be uh, in some way law breaking, which is ultimately what matters, whether the rules were broken, then there needs to be a proper well, procedure. Boris has admitted the rules were broken. He's already yeah, said but, that. But, but it may not just be him who needs to get into trouble. I mean, you're quite happy with one scalp, but actually... I don't want any scalps. I just want us to get rid of it and move on, Bill. Well, I'm I agree with that. I can't believe you want it to drag on for as long as possible so that the inevitable no, no, none doesn't of us happen did. until then I didn't call for the police to be called either. Well, Boris did, didn't he? No, he said it was, a, it was part of the... Um, mandate for the inquiry that if <laughs> so there you're was... doing it now well no it's, well, did it's... he call them in or not no sue gray would have done so sue gray called them in in order that she couldn't publish her own report are you joking well here it is the terms of reference yeah it's um somewhere near the the, the... here we are as with all internal investigations, if during the course of the work any evidence emerges of behaviour that is potentially a criminal offence, the matter will be referred to the police, and the cabinet office work may be paused. Uh, and that's in the annex A of. The and who wrote report. that then? Well, that's the terms of reference. So that is what you give. Well, who wrote that's it? What Sue Gray was given by the cabinet secretary. But there is no criminal activity if they've only broken the rules of COVID, surely. Mike, we're dancing around the same head of the pin, which is we don't know. So you're saying there could be criminal activity over and above the breaking of COVID rules because well, that's why well, the police have been called in. Is that what you're saying? If that's what the police believe, that's what they'll tell us. Mm. It's just incredible. Like, it's difficult because at the end of the day, and I've done a few of these interviews, we keep having to go around the fact that we haven't been given every detail. Yeah. But we haven't. But that's so Boris's fault. we can't fault. conclude. Well, Boris and can... so you're right, it drags on and it's very boring. But it is. That's, that's what we're left with. Well, good luck getting re-elected, well, is all I can say, as a, part, as a government. Because I think people are just going to get sick of it. I mean, just sort it out. Bill, you're a powerful man. Get it sorted, for heaven's sake. I'll do my best, Mike. Thank you I'll very much indeed. Thank you. So Bill Wigan, Conservative MP for North Herefordshire. It's like Alice in Wonderland, this, isn't it? Through the looking glass. With Boris Johnson. Mr Johnson, I put it to you that you are the Prime Minister. Well, you may say that. I couldn't possibly comment. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The other big story, of course, that happened yesterday, and it was kind of an afterthought in a way, uh, after what happened in the chamber with Boris Johnson having to answer questions from dozens and dozens and dozens of MPs. Ian Blackford getting thrown out of the chamber, being interviewed by our very own Peter Cardwell here outside of the uh, estate of uh, the Palace of Westminster, because he's now been suspended from there, I think, for at least one day, uh, possibly longer. Uh, lots of you really, really interesting uh, tweets sending, uh, sending them in about uh, uh, Bill Wiggin and how uh, he shouldn't have been laughing while he was talking about some of the things. Um, Peter says this, Mike, this is all disgusting. I won't forget it. I suspect many Conservatives uh, won't either. The Conservative Party are a disgrace. They need to sort this out now. The only word I can think of is obfuscation. Well, this is it. I mean, all those people, and there are many, many fewer of them now, complaining uh, that we're just Boris bashing, because at the end of the day, this is a massive story. You know, potentially we need a new Prime Minister. Potentially we will get a new Prime Minister. Potentially, and you just heard Bill Wiggins say it, the police are investigating criminality which is over and above anything that happened during Partygate, 
And I'm not really that interested in the parties, to be honest. What I'm interested in is how much they're doing to try and shake everybody off the scent. Boris Johnson going to Ukraine is ludicrous. What's the point? He might as well go to Bradford. He might as well go uh, on a trip to Turnbury and play a round of golf. What the hell is he going to do to stop a war in Ukraine? It's uh, what I would regard uh, as something to distract everybody. But the big story as well yesterday, which would have been the biggest story of the day today had it not been uh, for the Boris Johnson show, uh, was that Sajid Javid stood up in Parliament in the House of Commons and basically did a U-turn on mandatory vaccinations for NHS workers, which is something we've been calling for for a very, very long time. We're going to speak now to Rebecca Young, Head of External Affairs at Revitalise, which is the UK's biggest charity providing respite breaks for disabled people and carers. Rebecca, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very well indeed. Now, you are more concerned, I suppose, with the care business and the care workers who have lost their jobs already uh, than the NHS workers who now may be able to keep theirs. Um, This has been an extraordinary sort of episode, hasn't it? Because I always wondered if it was just Sajid Javid trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible and that in the 11th hour they might just change their minds. But you're welcoming this anyway. We are welcoming, yes. I think... I think the first thing to say, Mike, is we're obviously very, very supportive of vaccination in terms of it being the best way to keep people safe. There's no there's absolutely no doubt about that. But the issue that we're facing is that what mandatory vaccination has done to social care is compound uh, a recruitment crisis that we were already experiencing Mm. in terms of the mass exodus of people from social care in November on top of 100,000 vacancies already. So um, we welcome it because um, it it will hopefully help to alleviate that situation although much more needs to be done Mm. but of course it is disappointing that it has taken the nhs making a stand for social care to also be heard when in fact we face the exact same issues around staffing and being able to deliver safe services and do you think it was the sort of size the sheer size of the numbers in the nhs that would have been affected because i think there was talk of somewhere between 75 and 100,000 people who haven't been vaccinated which is a very small proportion of the nhs staff overall but still an awful lot of people that you can't really afford to lose I think, unfortunately, it's it's more to do with how social care is positioned versus the NHS mm. in terms of social care has always been seen as a bit of a poor relative of the NHS. And, you know, whilst we, we you know, we love and cherish the NHS, social care needs to be put on an equal footing in, in very many ways. The, the projections around um, the, a number of bodies were making around vacancies within social care as a result of vaccination were similar to the NHS. Mm. So, you know, I think it's more about about the, the, the loudness of the shouting and also the fact that the NHS, um, you know, it, it, it has been incumbent on all of us to protect the NHS through the pandemic. But mm. unfortunately, social care has been a bit forgotten. Yes, well, quite. And it's been forgotten in various different ways. I mean, your organisation, which provides respite, is more of a kind of a, a part... No, I don't, mean, I don't mean to say this in the wrong way, but it's a part-time respite for people who care for their, for their elderly relatives or whatever it is um, over a long period of time and they have a place to take them. But there's also individuals who go into other people's homes who are care workers who haven't been able to do that and who maybe have had to find other jobs. People obviously who work in care homes themselves. I mean, how badly has the business of of care been damaged? Very badly. You know, I think we're facing a situation now where there are 400,000 people on waiting lists waiting for care. And what mandatory vaccination has done is mean that some providers have struggled so much to staff their services. Thankfully, we're not one of them, that they've literally had to close their doors. And what that means in real terms is that people simply go without care. And that, quite frankly, can be dangerous. Mm. 
Um, we did lose, we have a very high rate of vaccination compliance, but we did lose colleagues through this process. And what that's mean for, meant for us practically is that we've had to cap the number of people that we can give respite to. And if you think that the majority of people are actually cared for at home as much as 24 hours a day, mm. essential respite is a lifeline. And we are simply restricted in the number of people we can offer that to at the moment. Right. And would you be in a position to offer any of those jobs back to people now? Because presumably, um, if it's not mandatory in the NHS, it's no longer mandatory in the care home sector, is it? Well, it's subject to consultation at the moment when we're not quite sure what that means practically. But the reality is that, yes, we do have vacancies. The bigger concern is actually that people have gone on to find jobs elsewhere. And, you know, the the other reality is that currently social care, because of the wage issue, is also competing with sectors like retail mm. who can simply afford to pay more. So some of our colleagues have got have they have obviously left social care and it's you know, it's it's whether people want to return yes quite and so as far as the whole kind of um business of social care is going at the moment we're hearing that there's still quite a lot of elderly people as well in um you may not know the answer to this question but quite a lot of elderly people in hospital beds who can't be released back into the care homes because they, there aren't enough people to look after them yeah that's correct the nhs simply doesn't function without social care we actually one of our services at the moment is turned over um because we can't deliver respite there to delivering a step-down contract from the NHS. So we take non-acute patients out of hospitals in order to free up beds. Mm. And, um, you know, once again, if the staffing crisis worsens, there's a risk of capping there. But, but you're absolutely right. There are care homes literally closing their doors who hospitals would rely on to take that capacity. Yes, and it is a really worrying thing going forward. So how long do you think that process will take? I mean, if there are people listening to this who have lost their job um, but are hoping maybe to get it back, I mean, how long do you think that process will take? Hopefully shorter than uh, the Metropolitan Police investigation of Downing Street. <laughs> we honestly don't know because we, what we've heard last night, and as you know, it, it, it happened at sort of about 7pm, yeah. so after we'd all closed our computers, was that it was subject to consultation. Mm. So at this point, there are quite a number of outstanding questions about what, what it means practically in yeah. reality. OK, well, we'll wait and see, I guess. But but as you say, good news all round for those who uh, took that particular choice and decided that they didn't want to be vaccinated for whatever reason. Rebecca Young, thank you very much indeed. Uh, she's from Revitalise, which is the UK's biggest charity, providing respite breaks for disabled people and their carers. And of course, it's a very important part uh, of healthcare, uh, as is indeed the visitation uh, of social care workers to go into some people's homes, which has been difficult for many of them because they weren't vaccinated. Similarly, social care uh, in care homes themselves has all been affected by this. So, I mean, Sajid Javid suddenly does a U-turn at the 11th hour. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I mean, I don't know where to begin, really, Laura. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, you, you don't need any help from me with where to begin because you <sighs> just you go like a, a rabbit out the traps. It's true. Is it a greyhound out there? You go it fast. I don't think you're allowed to do greyhound racing anymore. It's cruel, apparently. I think you are allowed to do it. Are you? Anyway, me, anyway, a thing or two to say. A thing or Little two to me, say. Would I really? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, as you say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got lots to say. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk about the Sue Gray thing anymore. The thing about me, Mike, is I'm not going to look where I'm told to look. I'm no. not going to talk about what I'm told to talk about. What really gets my interest? Mm. And there was one question yesterday that I honed in on. It made my spine straighten. Yes. And that was Steve Baker's question mm. to the PM. He asked, he asked the PM to comment on the fact that millions of people were deliberately mm. terrorised with a campaign of fear into complying with minute mm. restrictions on their lives. I'm just going to stop you because we've got the clip and I think oh. we should listen to it. So let's, let's listen have, to his exact let's words. Let's have a listen to yeah. his words. Millions of people, millions of people, took seriously a communications campaign apparently designed by behavioural psychologists to bully, to shame and to terrify them into compliance with minute restrictions on their freedom. What is my right honourable friend's central message to those people who meticulously complied with all of the rules and suffered terribly for it, including, I might say, those people whose mental health will have suffered appallingly as a result of the messages his government was sending out? Mr Speaker, I, I want to thank all those people uh, for everything that they did, uh, because together uh, they have helped us to control uh, coronavirus. And I think, thanks to their amazing actions in coming forward uh, to get vaccinated, we're now in a far better position than many other countries around the world. So I have a massive debt of gratitude to all the people that he describes. So Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, wants to thank the people that terrified the populace into um, a state of fear. He wants to thank them. Well, my skin is prickling with irritation right. just hearing that. Now, do you know what, Mike? Thanks might be in order. I'm not going to um, ungraciously reject his thanks. But the thanks do not answer the question, mm. which is about the campaign of fear. But, of course, this is a very difficult answer to provide. Yes. Because the use of fear is something we associate with tyrants yeah. and despots and totalitarian regimes. Mm. It is not something we should be associating with a democratically elected government right. of a free country. Yes. So how does he answer it? Well, that's it's right. very difficult. And one of the arguments that a lot of people make about why we shouldn't be trying to remove Boris Johnson is that he was elected by the people, right? But the people did not elect Sage. They did not elect Chris Whitty. They did not elect Patrick Vallance. They didn't elect any of these people who were behind 
these campaigns. And so what's their argument about that? Well, I think actually who's behind the campaigns is very opaque. We don't have transparency on this. There's, as I outlined in my book, State of Fear, there's the nudge unit, there was mm. Spy B, there are behavioural scientists within various departments, including the Department of Health and Social Care, the Cabinet Office. There are other units. It's, why don't they just uh, it's like out a hydra. The, there's just a lot of heads in different places. Why don't they just places? cut out the middleman and have a Department of Fear? <laughs> they could just I mean, have a Ministry just of Truth. call it what it is. Yeah, and I think the thing is there's um, there's a lot of growing anger, but do you know what this is at the moment? We're at the stage where the tide is turning, and it's turning because of the hypocrisy and because of the suffering people are aware that was caused mm. by by the rules. And in fact, that's really very much the main thrust of yesterday. MPs waving the shrouds of misery yes. that have been caused by the rules. So this is only just the beginning. The tide is turning. Yes. To quote Boris Johnson, there is a tidal wave coming. It's not Omicron. No. It's going to be a tidal wave of anger. Yes. And I've foreseen this since the beginning, that if you frighten a whole country beyond the scale of the threat, if you deliberately amplify fear, what will follow next mm. is anger. It's like it's like the, the stages of grief. Yes. We're, we're on a course here, and they're not going to be able to course correct out of it. How much they've gone about parties or the Ukraine, yeah. you can't course correct Isn't out of the like response when you watch coming. the tsunami and the tide going out? And suddenly you see the fish on the on the bottom of the sea, <laughs> and then you just know, in about five oh, minutes, it's all going to come back. That, Unfortunately, it's going to be coming back really fast. You're, it's that's a, a delicious metaphor. Yes. I like that. At the moment, at the, at the moment, um, Boris Johnson's like a fl- fish, like kind of flapping around yeah. and floundering as he's right. waiting for the tidal wave. To, there's not much you can do about this tidal you wave. Can't. It's coming. And you know, it's interesting you say that because I had the exact same kind of. Um, moment of clarity as, as alcoholics sometimes say and yesterday while watching because I was kind of watching it slightly open-mouthed in, in horror and kind of surprise and and just I couldn't quite believe what I'm seeing and hearing but at one point I remember thinking quite clearly he deserves all of this and he's getting it now because it might be that the people giving it to him are disingenuous it might be that the MPs bringing up these grief tales are doing it for effect and you know that's probably true but for all of the misery that he caused and, and for all the, the things that everybody went through, he deserves to be hauled over the coals, don't you think? Yeah, but it's not even started yet. Um, the, the thing is that every MP who voted for stricter restrictions, that is the almost the entirety of the Labour yeah. Party, to now be talking about suffering is that, you know, they're still missing the point. And at some point, the point will be unmissable. Although Jeremy Hunt's still missing it. He tweeted today, I'm going to quote him, I was intending to introduce mandatory flu vaccinations in my final year as health secretary before I was moved to another role. Well, thank goodness he's in another role then. I yes. think he's 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 not reading the room correctly. Mm. But then he goes on to say this, Mike. Who will now believe the government next time it tries to do the right thing? What happens if we get a more dangerous variant than Omicron? Staff who reluctantly got jabbed to keep their job will feel cheated. Well, mm. quite. Well, Quite, Jeremy Hunt, who will believe the government next time. This series of tweets he did this morning is like an elegy to yeah. nudge. It's a lament that the propaganda hasn't worked. Mm. And he's completely missed the point. I think it is an incredibly embarrassing way to talk about the electorate yeah. as though we're naughty children mm. and as though the government is a strict parent who must follow through on its threats. And they, also... They said, that, they said that NHS workers must get vaccinated and now they might be saying that they don't have to. Right. So, so will we believe their threats next time? The point is that we're not children mm. to be threatened no. by a government um, and, and who might for... act up next time. No. And also for him to say that kind of thing like you know trying to do the right thing 
You know, so many terrible events have happened in history because somebody said they were doing the right thing. You know, it was for your own good. Yeah. And basically we had to do this because we had no other choice because we're doing the right thing. Yeah. Well, we don't elect the government to do the right thing. We elect the government to do what they said they were going to do mm. uh, and carry out the, the will of the people and the manifesto that they promised to enact, right? And doing the right thing is a very dangerous phrase, in my view. Yeah, well, I, I completely concur with you. You've got it the right way around. I think I've got it the right way around. Jeremy Hunt's entirely missing the point. He's not our strict parent to threat, threaten us no. and cajole us uh, into doing the right thing. As another example, um, I'm going to credit Lucy Easthope for this. Follow her on Twitter if you don't already. She There aren't many people who know more about disaster and recovery than Professor Lucy Easthope. Mm. She commented on um, some words that Rob used this morning on Good Morning Britain. Um, it's very clever neuro-linguistic programming in a sense. He said, the public now want us to focus on the business at hand, not parties. So he's telling us what we want. Yeah. He's already fast-forwarding us into mm. the response he wants us to have. Yes. Plus, talking about what's, in, what's important. Like, don't think about the trivia of parties, right. silly little people. What you want is to think about this important stuff. Now, the interesting thing about Rob is he's the first UK politician I noticed to use the term the new normal. People have to be aware that um, although we think of politicians sometimes as bumbling around and making clumsy mistakes mm. and cock-ups and clowns sometimes, the fact is that a lot of the language is very deliberately chosen in order to engineer a response in you. And this is part of a government which has been incredibly reliant upon nudge, propaganda and the fear campaign, yeah. which you know that I talk about all the time. And I think that, you know, I really liked Steve's spotlight yesterday on this question because we can't let the spotlight move away. You know, this epidemic is going to go. Mm. It will go eventually. Yeah. But we're left with a government that thinks it's okay to prod, threaten and deceive a population into complying with yeah. unpopular policies. And there are plenty of people out there now who are willing to tell the government they've got it wrong and they shouldn't have done a U-turn on NHS mandatory vaccinations as if mandatory vaccinations have ever been a thing. Yeah. And just because it was introduced as a possibility, they now think that it should yeah. happen. And you kind of go in, imagine if we'd been sitting here three years ago and I said to you, there will be very many important people, MPs, um, members of um, the NHS, doctors, you know, educators, you know, academics, and they're all calling for people to be forced to have a, a, a vaccination. You would have laughed in my face. Yeah. I, actually, there's another thing I want to say about this. I had my bloods taken last week. And the phlebotomist didn't know who I was. I didn't say anything about vaccines. I said nothing, like I swear. Mm. And she just brought up out of the blue with me. And I was so shocked she did it. She said, um, I had to have the vaccine and I'm really sad about it. I was really taken aback. Wow. I said, oh, do you mean the COVID vaccine? Yeah. And she said, yeah, because we're going to lose our jobs if we don't have it. Mm. You know, she obviously needed to get it off her chest. Yeah. And... I said, oh, gosh, that's really tough if you didn't want to have it. And she said, yeah, and I'm get, I've got to have the second one. I said, well, hang on. Do you want the second one? Mm. And she said, no. And I said, well, have you, I mean, do you know there are petitions? Do you know there are lawyers that mm. are looking at this? And she didn't know anything about all of that. So right. um, she, she had the right person. She was Absolutely. getting off her chest. So I wrote, I, wrote, I wrote some things down for her to get to the gather mm. declaration, Big Brother Watch, um, law, law or fiction on Twitter. I gave her some different things to look at. And I said to her, that's just really sad if you feel bullied into having it if you yeah. don't want it. And I th I'm thinking about her now this mandate's being turned around. So she had a medical procedure she didn't want to keep her job. Now, if I was her, I would be feeling really, I mean, she felt sick and violated mm. anyway, that's obvious. 
but now added to that this this feeling that she did it unnecessarily to keep her job i think that's a really sickening mm. sickening position to be in it is. I, I feel kind of violated she really should never on be her put behalf. in that position i was speaking no. earlier to a representative of a charity that's involved in sort of respite care and she was saying you know we're now in a period of consultation supposedly to find out whether the people who lost their jobs in the care sector can get them back if they still want them because surely that should be the case shouldn't it of course it should be you know they've crippled the care sector by making those people lose their jobs because there's now not enough people in the care sector caring so people are stuck in hospital so they're screwing up the nhs people can't get into the beds in the hospital because the old people can't be moved out you know they've created all of this in the same way that boris johnson has created party gate mm. whatever you want to call it and we can't just not mention it yeah. because he's such a great guy. Yeah. You know? So Jeremy Hunt asks who will believe the government next time. I don't think that phlebotomist will. I don't think the people who lost their jobs will. I don't think that anyone who's become cognizant of the level of propaganda, the fear, the vaccine mandates, the vaccine passports, uh, the incentives yeah. and the various coercive tactics to have them. None of us who are aware of that now are going to believe the government next time no. and this is a bed entirely of their own making but we all have to yes. suffer for it so in the same way that we'll never ever believe sage ever again because they got it so wrong none of what they said was true and we can only assume that their motive was not to do the right thing but it was to make us behave in a certain way I don't I resent it, that it could still have been in their views supposedly in our best interests it's a it's a really horrid form yeah, but of I don't, I don't. I don't vote for anybody who wants to do something in my best interest. I'll do what I do in my best interest. Thanks very much indeed. I don't need any help. Well, we don't, do we? None of us do. We just need the facts and the information yeah. and to make up exactly. our own minds. We don't need to be coerced into doing the right thing. Oh, it's a phrase I'm beginning it's to really It's a really, dislike. really scary phrase. But stop right there because we've got some things to talk about. The travel market to travel about. Talk, travel about, talk about. We've also got the mystery of the tweet about how you've managed to catch COVID, but don't worry, I've had three jabs and I'll, I'll be isolating at home. Two cabinet ministers, two days in a row, the exact same tweet, really? Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Lord Dodsworth is here, uh, the author, uh, journalist. Could I call you an academic? I suppose I could, sort of. No. You don't want that. I just did I just did a, a BA. I don't think I count as okay. an academic, sorry. All right, okay. But you're sort of an intellectual, aren't you? I think. You I don't call mean me brainy? Yeah, I think you are a bit brainy. All right, I'll take it. You're a bit I'll have brainy. It. Okay. Thank you. Very yep. good. Now, let's talk about this ridiculous tweet that went out yesterday. Liz Truss, um, sitting in the House of Commons, got COVID. Some people pointed out, oh, yeah, but she wasn't wearing a mask and she was sitting in the middle of the House of Commons. Stop. I can't so, roll my eyes hard enough for this. I mean, really. And all the Labour people, of course, still wearing their masks. But uh -huh. she's signalling away. Um, so it's so Rishi Sunak. What was that about? Yeah, well, who knows? Anyway. Maybe he's trying to count, sort of, you know, get garner that particular vote. But... So the day before, Nadim Zahawi had also got COVID, uh, but they're both tweeting out the identical phrase. Earlier in the same day, they did tweet out exactly the yes. same words. Always interesting when yeah. that happens. Always interesting. As though there is some level of coordination, because it seems unlikely that she would miraculously produce exactly the same words on yeah. her own. And it would be very embarrassing and silly to cut and paste his tweet. Wouldn't it just? So it's as because though they've been given the same words to use by somebody like really smart, but not so smart in yeah. communications. Mm. It says, oh, well, you know, if you've got if you've got COVID, this is what you say to encourage the silly little people Some to go and get their, year old their three vaccines so that they can also... Get anyway, COVID. I, no, I, they can also get COVID and isolate at home. Are we living in a simulation? Huh? Are we actually <laughs> living in a sim simulation? It, they were like parody tweets yeah. yesterday, but they were the same, which is interesting. And it's and it's that kind of 
it's that coordination again, this feeling that they're sort of deciding things behind the scenes and treating us as a little bit silly. Yeah. But what I thought was really funny was that Sasha Javid tweeted Nadim Zahawi and then called him Nads as well. And he doesn't know what Nads are, does no, he? Or does not. he? Well, maybe is that, not. Is that his funny little nickname for Nadim Zahawi? Well, though? could be. That would be that would be funny. I mean, we know what Nads are, don't we? Yeah, we, we certainly do. We're not going to sit on a breakfast There's show, There's normally a, a post a two letters show. before, and the Nads is short for that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Just want to make sure we're on the same page here. We're on the same page. Now, it's talk, to me about, uh, talk to me about Spain and uh, travel advice, because we're going to do a bit of travel later on in the show to find out where we are. Because, to be honest, I've mm. completely lost the plot. I don't know what the restrictions are, if there are any. Um, and half term's coming up. Yeah, well, a friend was talking to me about this. It's just one thing I'm going to drop in, and it's still on the subject to nudge, because I'm relentlessly on mission today, Mike. Mm. And then I, I want to say something that. serious about nudge to finish my relentless okay. mission. Excellent. Okay, takes up into orbit. Yeah. You feel my blood pressure. I it's do. going to get us up there on, it's, on its own. Okay, so a friend was telling me that the official UK government travel advice to go to Spain is apparently, I haven't checked the website mm. myself, that if you're over 12, you must be fully vaccinated. But this is apparently not true, because you need Spain's health pass, which would also include for instance being fully recovered right. um so it, again it's an example of the government saying see you've got to be vaccinated yes. to travel in an instance where you might not actually have mm. to be fully vaccinated to travel yeah so it's another nudge yes. potentially but it i is. haven't checked the wording myself in the same way that they issue these little dictums like we hear them all the time on um uh, on the transportation systems of london tfl where Sadiq Khan has declared that you should still wear a mask and certain shops have still declared that you should still wear a mask, but people do or they don't. Yeah. And you can't make them. It's not a law. It's not a bylaw. You can't yeah. punish people. You can't fine people. It's simply a, an idea that you should somehow protect other people and show how really, really good you are by wearing a mask. Well, the exact word they're using is, is courteous. Yes. It's courteous to wear a mask, as though if you don't wear one, you are discourteous. Yes, but it used to be that you were protecting others. That's what they used to say. It's pretty hard to They've keep trotting that out, that. considering they can't produce any evidence to back it up. No, so, um, that is a bit tough. Yeah, so the, so the implication is that if you don't wear a mask, you're discourteous. And mm. in fact, other people have already commented on this now, that the, the mask has become a symbol of morality. Well, it's really not, because it's not a courtesy to wear something that's ineffective and not legally required. Right. You know, we're not And possibly harmful. But possibly we need the RCTs to prove mm. either way to be honest and it's not like they haven't had the budget to do the RCTs had they wanted to no. so given the background of all of this nudge and how passionately I feel about how wrong the campaign of fear was I just want to say that I completely endorse a letter that a retired NHS clinical psychologist called Gary Sidley has written yes. to the government to the Public Administration and Constitutional Affairs Committee asking for an independent investigation into the use of behavioural science yes. by the government. This is something I called for at the this end of the my book. This is the one that's called it grossly unethical isn't it? Yeah there was a, a, a an article in the Telegraph about this letter it went like a storm mm. it's it's just flying that article because it's really it's really it's really relatable it's like we were saying at the beginning, only tyrants and despots use fear to make yeah. people do what they're told. This is a very hard corner that the government's now backed itself into and mm. it really needs to justify what it's done. But we need we need an independent inquiry into the overall reliance on, on uh, behavioural science, uh, fear and nudge. And it, it does go beyond COVID. Yeah. There are historical examples. There was an all-party parliamentary group on the loan charges scandal that found that one suicide could be linked to the behavioural science approach. This is 
a big call mm. to answer. You know, furthermore, there was um, a joint collaboration between the Behavioural Insights team, the Nudge Unit, and Sky, right. talking about how to use Sky's programming to nudge mm. people towards a highly controversial political goal of net zero. Yes. Perhaps I'm not aware that kind of breaks Ofcom licensing code. I would suggest. You I've would written have to. I've written to Ofcom yeah. a detailed letter of complaint about this. I haven't got an answer yet. It's it's under a month, so. It's about a month. Give it a bit more time. And also Rolling Stone reported that the Home Office has um, hired an ad agency to mobilise public opinion against encryption. Mm. The government doesn't like encryption. It doesn't really want us talking privately to each other on WhatsApp, Telegram and Signal. We might be building bombs or whatever. But what the ad campaign is going to do is to mobilise parents, concerned parents who don't really understand what encryption is by making out it's a really dangerous route mm. to child sexual exploitation. Yes. So the the use of um, fear, behavioural well, science and nudging plenty, is just ongoing. And there's plenty of methods of which you can access children via the internet for nefarious purposes, which they haven't stopped. So why do they want to stop this one? It's, it's really a hook. It's a hook mm. to grab onto people's fears and concerns mm. it's a really easy audience to grab onto concerned yeah. parents and the more i watched it yesterday um and the more that i think about this kind of um, uh, accusation to the nudge people about gross grossly unethical behavior the more i see this is all unraveling massively for what the government did and the more damaging it's going to be to their credibility i, I think that we have to look upon this as at least an opportunity to set the house in order yeah we pay taxes to the government to serve We're us. We're about to pay more. We're about to pay a hell of a lot more. And so I want to know if the government employs behavioural scientists, nudge units and propaganda units, exactly what they're doing and why. More than that, I want to buy into it. I yeah. should be consulted on it. We, the public, Maybe should, be should be consulted. Be Maybe you should be on the, 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 the committee that decides on what people's behaviour should be. I could certainly provide evidence yeah. to the committee and I would be very happy to mm. do so and I really hope it happens. That would be brilliant. Laura Dodsworth, amazing. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Kevin O'Sullivan's going to talk to us just before we do that. Let's have a listen to some of what was said yesterday. Uh, first up, Ian Blackford, the head of the SNP in Westminster. Uh, no, we haven't got that. Let's talk to Kevin then. Uh, we'll see if we can get the clips up in a minute. Blimey, eh? you think Boris Johnson was running this show. Uh, Kevin, very good morning to you. How are you doing? Hello, Mike. Yeah. Now, I, listen. Remember, I remember Ian Blackford yesterday, yes. Yes. Well, excellent, excellent histrionics on his part. Pure uh, theatre that he planned all along. Yes, well, apparently we've got it now. Let's have a listen. The public know this is a man they can no longer trust. He has been investigated by the police. He misled the House. He must now resign. Yeah. Order. Order. You'll have to withdraw that last comment. Mr Speaker, I gave the evidence of the 8th of December. Order, order. You're going to have to withdraw misled. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has misled the House. Unless you withdraw, I'll have to stop, and that's not good. Just withdraw the words. I am standing up for my constituents that know that this Prime Minister has lied and misled the House. To help me, to help the House, you withdraw on your earlier comment and... Placed it with inadvertently. It's not my fault if the Prime Minister can't be trusted to tell the truth. Under the power given to me by Standing Order Number 43, I order the Honourable Member to withdraw immediately from the House. From the House. He's left anyway. Rivera, it's, it's, it's all right, we don't need to bother. 
Well, there's always an, um, an upside, I suppose, to these things. The greatest part about all of that, I thought, was Blackford, just before he sat down, was so flummoxed, which is a good Scottish word, that he did a complete 360-degree uh, turn before he sat down. Uh, as somebody described it earlier, a bit like a dog chasing his own tail. Yeah, it looked like a kind of uh, inflated tomato at the end with a big <laughs> red face. Uh, careful, I, you'll I be accused of I... fat shaming if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yes, uh, I would never suggest that Ian Blackwood was fat. <coughs> uh, but <laughs> God, you wouldn't. Uh, but uh, I don't think he planned to get kicked out of the house when he went in there. But the more it became a possibility, the more Lindsay Hoyle rebuked him, the mm. more he realised that he was going to seize the moment and be the centre of the action and get kicked out. So he definitely went for it. Uh, but, you know, uh, I went down the bookies, actually, and um, I tried to put a bet on when Ian Blackford will finish a uh, parliamentary speech uh, by not calling for the Prime Minister to resign. And I got 100 to 1 against. <laughs> he has not made a single speech in six months that didn't end with, I call upon the Prime Minister to resign! Every single time. It's ridiculous. I mean, it does. And that's why now when he does it, it means, it means nothing. It's of no relevance of at all. But it was a very bizarre day, I thought, yesterday. I mean, I was literally watching it kind of mouth open in uh, sort of incredulity as it became more and more bizarre. You know, Boris bringing up Jimmy Savile with uh, Sir Keir Starmer, which you know is a touch point for an awful lot of uh, Tory voters and Boris supporters, uh, but sort of technically slightly, you know, uh, not entirely correct. Then you've got him accusing the front bench of the Labour Party taking drugs. Um, you know, it was quite extraordinary. Yeah, uh, and peppered by, you know, this ludicrous... Uh, system of rules, these arcane rules that you're allowed to say the parliament, the, the prime minister inadvertently misled yes. the house, but you can't say misled the house. Oh, that's against the rules. Right, you have you to know, leave. We, we in the human race, we look at this absurd antediluvian pantomime with its ridiculous rules, and we think, what on earth is going on? Why can't these politicians forget about these stupid rules and rejoin the human race? Yes. Then we'd have a better House of Commons. Uh, we saw... Uh, Theresa May, you know, uh, all prime ministers hate their successors. She's no ex exception. Uh, what I didn't like about Theresa May, I didn't mind her speech, you know, which is it? Did you not understand the rules or you, did you decide they didn't uh, apply to you? Yeah. Which is, I didn't mind the speech. What I did mind was the fact she's wearing a mask. So she took part in this absurd ritual where she's wearing a big blue mask to match her blue outfit. I know. And then she takes it off to stand up and make her speech and then sits down and yeah. puts it back well, on. Everybody knows, Sorry, MP shouldn't be doing this. Everybody knows you can't get COVID while you're standing up. You can only it's get it when ridiculous. you're sitting down. I mean, it's yeah. true. And also, I'm really, really um, cheesed off with these people who think it's a fashion statement to wear a mask because it matches your dress uh, or yeah. your tie or something. I mean, do me a favour. Yeah, meanwhile, uh, Rishi Sunak was wearing a mask, presumably so we couldn't see him laughing under the underneath uh, as Boris uh, went through the gates of hell. Yes. But I think, I think the real story of yesterday, while we watched this ludicrous House of Commons pantomime, uh, was uh, the villain of the piece who wasn't in there, a woman who should be fired immediately. Uh, and I'm talking about, and I use this in quotes, Dame... Cressida Dick, yes. the absurd police chief who prevented the people getting what they deserved. And that's the full facts of Sue Gray's report. This police intervention is one of the great scandals of modern times. Uh, it's ridiculous, 
infantile. Why she did it, uh, no one knows, unless it was somehow to try to protect the Prime Minister. But she should never have done it. It's a disgrace, and she should be fired. Well, the idea that this will now drag on, very possibly, as Boris Johnson himself said, for a year, is laughable, isn't it? I mean, you cannot run a government. He's already missed his call to Vladimir Putin yesterday because of this. He's now apparently heading out to Ukraine to stop a war. I mean, I don't know if you heard Bill Wiggin on this morning. I said, how's he going to stop a war in Ukraine? Can't even stop people having a party in his garden. I mean, you know, he's not not exactly, you know, like... um, who was that? Who was that? Who was it that uh, that negotiated the Yasser Arafat a Begin peace deal? Uh, I can't remember. Was it Jimmy Carter? It was one of those American presidents. You know, I mean, it's not exactly you know that kind of territory we're dealing with. Well, no. Uh, what Boris is trying to do, the reason he's going to the Ukraine, uh, is uh, to try to look prime ministerial. You know, to bat away uh, the Partygate scandal, the absurd Partygate scandal, and try to look big and good on the world stage. Mm. They always try and do this. Uh, He's not much of a leader, but he wants to look like one. Uh, You know, what chance has he got of stopping Russia invading the Ukraine? Nothing. He's got no chance whatsoever. (laughs) The only thing I'd say about Ukraine is it's a bit like Sue Gray's report. It's the story that never happens. Right. Uh, and uh, we keep getting all these politicians saying the world is on the edge of war. You know, Russia is about to invade. Well, they haven't done it for three weeks. Right. And the and the people in Ukraine, including uh, the president there, are saying, will you all shut up? We are relaxed about right. this situation. We don't see any sign of Russia invading. But all you lot in the West keep saying they're going to. And if you're not careful, uh, you know, you're, it's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, uh, you know, Boris has gone to stop an invasion that doesn't look like it's going to happen. Right. Well, it keeps him out of trouble for a few hours. I mean, I suppose we should be thankful. He's not spending any money on Claret and, um, and Stilton. So that's all good. What do you got for us tonight, Kev? Uh, well, uh, obviously, looking into uh, I, I, what I detected, right? I put a tweet out this morning. So we're all going on about Partygate and uh, the Ukraine and all that. I must stop saying the Ukraine. Yeah, because you're, that shows your age. Like that, it's called they? Ukraine like now. It. Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. Take away the definite article. That's right. Uh, um, uh, but what I, I put a tweet out this morning saying, what is Boris? He says that his priority now is to tackle the cost of living crisis. How exactly is he going to achieve that uh, by hiking national insurance, the national insurance tax, and continuing to pile on green levies onto our uh, energy bills? Huge response. That's what people are worried about. They're worried about the pound in their pocket. They're worried about not being able to afford the bills. And that is the massive crisis that Boris is going to have to tackle in the next few months. And the way he's going about it, raising taxes and putting utility bills up, doesn't seem to be uh, in any way coherent. In fact, it seems to me to be utterly politically mad. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Kevin O'Sullivan, thank you very much indeed. Back with us at 7 o'clock tonight, of course, every night, Monday to Friday, 7 until 10, followed by James Whale. Don't miss it. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Gray. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.